I didn't get into activism because I thought that was a great career choice. I got into activism to change the world, change the nation, change the people around me. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Holla! What's up, Liberty Lions? Welcome back to the flagship program here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty each and every Monday. You are listening to the 283rd episode of this program, and that means you can find the show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 283, where we'll have links to all sorts of things we discuss with today's guest, who is an awesome dude, a guy who's actually one of the first guests that ever appeared on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I'm really excited to bring him back on. But first, I want to remind you guys about how you can help contribute to and help expand this program by contributing to our patron program. You can find all the information about that over at lionsofliberty.com dot com slash support. And while you will continue to get your three podcasts per week here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, this program, you'll get Brian McWilliams every Wednesday with Electric Liberty Land, as well as John Odermatt every single Friday with Felony Friday. You're going to continue to get that all for free, whether or not you contribute to the show. However, we are going to have some exclusive audio for anyone that contributes at the $5 level or higher. Just $5 a month, you can support this show. Get some discounts on merchandise at Lions of Liberty store, lionsofliberty.store for that. And you can get exclusive audio, the first of which I'm going to tell you about a little bit later after today's interview. My guest today is just a busy beaver when it comes to activism for liberty. He has made several appearances on this program in the past, discussing various organizations he has founded, including Panda, People Against the NDAA, and the Solutions Institute, which was founded to provide a support network for political activists. Today, he joins us to discuss some very big plans he has for the latest organization he founded, the Tax Revolution Institute. I am pleased to welcome back the one, the only... Dan Johnson. Dan, are you ready to roar? I'm a panda. Um, <laughs> we don't really do that. Pandas don't <laughs> roar? <laughs> Not as much. We prefer, like, if threatened, maybe, but we kind of prefer to just sit and eat bamboo and have the government leave us alone. It means so you're, like, kind of chill, kind of cute, but uh, if you mess with me, your head maybe get ripped off. That's basically... Exactly, and if you don't mess with me, peaceful bamboo shoots and bamboo sticks and all that other fun stuff. All right. <laughs> So don't mess with this man, at least not at least not when it comes to violating individual rights and infringing on liberty, because you really are. You're not just passionate about talking about liberty. I know a lot of people that talk about liberty. I'm one of them. You are probably one of the most active people when it comes to actually trying to change the government, change the world we live in, literally through actions, not just through talk. And, you know, it's been a while since you've been here. So why don't we just do kind of a, a Cliff Notes version? I'll link to uh, some of your previous interviews on the show in the show notes for today. But but for people that aren't familiar with you, Dan, why don't you just let people know how you first became inspired uh, into political activism at such a young age, I might add. I mean, how old were you when you when you first founded Panda? Like 18, 19? 18, yeah. 18, wow. Unbelievable. So t- why don't you tell us what first inspired the founding of that organization and the rest of your political activism that has really been nonstop since, uh, since pretty much since I started this show? I certainly feel like it's been nonstop, and so do all the, the holidays. But anyway, so, so I was not ever intending on going into politics. Polly being many, ticks being blood-sucking creatures, uh, didn't sound like a fun sport for me to be involved in. But uh, 
I had watched a little bit of the news, and and I was a student, an avid student of history. I studied the rise and fall of the Third Reich, a bunch of World War II history, and uh, I decided I wanted to get involved in politics because if I was going to change anything, I either had to get involved or get it out of my way. And being as I, I really have a hard time keeping a straight face, uh, handing out bribes to get politics out of my way <laughs> didn't seem like a good way to go. I'm also a terrible liar, so maybe I, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. But I decided to get involved in politics, and uh, I was going to go up the usual way, you know, state rep, work as an intern for a state rep, then run for city council, run for county commission, state representative, congressman, bribe off a few people, get a, get a few bribes, pay off a few people, and retire on a private island. Sounds great. And it really does. I mean, it's a great career choice. And uh, I came across a little piece of legislation called the National Defense Authorization Act. Long story short, the National Defense Authorization Act is a bill passed every year to fund the military. Nothing really hoopla about that. But into the 2012 version, they included provisions that much like the executive order that caused America to detain 120,000 Japanese Americans without charge or trial – this law would have allowed the president to detain any person without a charge or trial, or as uh, our great and esteemed Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina put it, regardless of whether or not you're an American citizen, when they say, I want a lawyer, you say, shut up, you don't get a lawyer. Yep, that's that's Lindsey Graham's famous phrase. <laughs> so so long story short, lawyer, I, you're I, a terrorist. <laughs> Right. You're, you're a terrorist or a saboteur or you didn't look good on his lawn. And we'll have no problem proving you're a terrorist because uh, you're not going to have any way to defend yourself. Cool. Right. Right. Exactly. Our, our word is our proof. And uh, so he signed that law, that into law. And I got involved with uh, people against the NDAA, uh, started that organization uh, February 15th, uh, February 21st, rather, of uh, uh, 2012. And uh, we went to our city council, talked to the mayor, talked to the city councilors, basically got thrown out and told back go to, to go back to basic government class. And uh, you know you always have that one hater in your life? Who, I have many, just... but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was a good comeback. So you, we, we at If only I could have... narrow it down to one. That would, be, <laughs> that would make things much easier. But you don't yeah, get to podcast and talk about liberty without getting haters. It just doesn't, doesn't we, work that we, way. But you at least have one hater who sticks out, <laughs> who stands out as someone who told you you'd be nothing or someone who told you you couldn't do it. Well, my mayor told me to go back to basic government class. I didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, Dick Edwards, aptly named, from Bowling Green, Ohio, uh, he was the catalyst. And uh, three years later, Panda had passed legislation from coast to coast, uh, including the capital of New York, banning the indefinite detention of American citizens without charge or trial, introduced legislation in over 30 states actually fought off congressional legislation that would have made it worse, uh, impressively. And uh, we had about 30,000 people engaged with the organization uh, in you know, the span of about three years. And it just never stops. Like I said, you went on to, to found the Solutions Institute as well as to found the current institute that you're really pushing some big plans for here, the Tax Revolution Institute. I'll get into those plans in just a second, but before we do, we already did one episode actually last year on, on the Tax Revolution Institute, but how did you first become involved with this organization? What was the reason it was first founded? Well, this kind of gets me to the number one thing that drives me as an activist to do whatever organization or set up whatever organization I'm setting up once I initially got involved. And it's actually a number. 
It's the number 272 million. Do you want to take a guess as to where that number comes from? Oh, boy. You're going to put me on the spot just like that? <laughs> uh, on my own show, Dan. Come on. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's it's close to the number of people in the United States, so I, I'm guessing it's it's relating to a, a certain amount of people in this country that are affected by fill in the blank. But I could be totally wrong here. That's that's a very good comparison because it gives people some context for what this number is. That's the number of people who were targeted and murdered by governments in the 20th century. Oh, that's a big one. Okay. <laughs> 272 million. Of course, it includes the regimes of Stalin and Mao and Hitler. But it includes well, it gives you a, a good comparison point because that is close to the number of people in the United States, just over 300 million. So almost the entire current population of the United States was uh, murdered over the last century. So that's that's exciting. Was was murdered over the last century by government. And while I haven't been able to come up with some numbers for how much the United States government uh, has murdered either accidentally or on purpose, a couple of numbers that come to mind are uh, uh, the FDA, Federal Drug Administration, or Food and Drug Administration, FDA-approved drugs and medicines have killed over 780,000 people since 2005, and uh, the VA let 307,000 veterans die on waiting lists. So while I don't have a specific number, the number of people, I mean, at the very, at our very basic nature, we should respect life. Even if you throw out the whole liberty and pursuit of happiness thing, at the very least, we should respect honor and try to cherish and preserve people's lives. And uh, the fact that it is not corporations, it is not nonprofit organizations, it is not individuals, that there is no bigger serial killer, not including war, mind you, than government. That is every single day what drives me forward as an activist. And so that's what drove me to found the Solutions Institute, which was to help activists, no matter what their activism was, as long as they weren't increasing the power and scope of government to help them be successful. And at the end of the day, because taxes are the heart of government, taxes are what makes government different from business, different from nonprofits. The essential problem uh, with taxation, the, the force, the coercion that is used to get that from people, it is those tax dollars that funded those murders. And so long story short, that's what got me involved in taxes. Because you want to cut it off the the horrors, the injustices at their source. Is that really the, the general idea here? I don't want to manage a problem. I want to solve it. And uh, if I can only prevent you know, 10,000, 100,000, 50,000 people from being killed because you shut off some government program that was harming people uh, or you allowed people to take their tax dollars out and put them somewhere else uh, that was actually helping people. If I, if I can do that, then then I'll, I'll die happy. Now, Dan, I know the Tax Revolution Institute was was first founded uh, initially to go after a very specific uh, provision, I guess, that the IRS was trying to put forward, where they were going to really basically clamp down on the political speech of, of nonprofit groups. So before you get into your big announcement, can you uh, update us on that? Has there been any progress on that front? Uh, absolutely. So when the Tax Revolution was founded, we're founded and funded by victims of the IRS specifically. And uh, the IRS was... Uh, issuing what we called a muzzle rule. They're proposing a, a muzzle rule. And what it would have allowed the IRS to do is if uh, a nonprofit organization, say Campaign for Liberty, or any of the various uh, advocacy citizens organizations out there, were to talk about an issue related to a politician or were to talk about, even mention a politician's name, trying to hold them accountable during election time, that the IRS would be able to revoke their nonprofit status. And why that matters 
is most organizations that are out there fighting for your liberty, fighting for your freedom, they are nonprofits. That is the section of the tax code they fall under. So for the IRS to claim this kind of vast power, it would have re-leveled the playing field in favor of the political action committees and in favor of the big money in politics instead of the citizen. And that's really what got uh, what TRI really engaged on. We created the First Amendment Alliance which is a nonpartisan alliance of organizations to oppose that rule, we ended up actually getting 75 organizations on the alliance. And that rule was pushed back. Uh, it may come up again this year, so we're going to keep an eye on that. But we were able to uh, keep Congress defunding the rule and uh, uh, potentially set the stage for a permanent uh, reduction in the IRS's uh, influence over nonprofits with our Free Speech Protection Act. So you could call that a at least a temporary success. We're maybe not ready to throw the full party yet, but uh, enough for a couple high fives. Enough for a couple high fives, absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to give you a virtual high five. I'm not going to actually hit my microphone for for because I care about my, my the, our listeners' ears, but I'm giving you one. Just believe me. <laughs> but virtual high five back at you. All right, Dan, but you know, you're not stopping there. You never really stop when it comes to your, to your activism. You're always looking for the next new big challenge, the next new big project. So why don't you now reveal what are your big plans here that I've been hearing so many whispers about the last few months here through the Tax Revolution Institute. What, are, what Blow my mind, Dan. I'm ready. When the Tax Revolution Institute was first formed, we put in our mission statement to develop innovative, simple tax reform solutions that promote freedom and prosperity for all Americans would be the jargony way to put it. Long story short, we're not here to manage the problem. We're here to fix it. And uh, the organization, the tax organizations uh, that are out there calling for tax reform and calling to do something with taxes, most of them have been around. Uh, in fact, every single national tax organization has been around for 25 years or longer and has had no success in simplifying or in uh, really fixing uh, the federal, local, or state uh, tax system. We are the first new tax organization in 25 years. So we decided we're going to think outside the box. I'm not here. You can make a tidy salary in D.C. managing a problem. I'm not here to manage a problem. I didn't get into activism because I thought that was a great career choice. I got into activism to change the world, change the nation, change the people around me. And so... When we looked at this tax system that we've been studying for the past year, how do you actually fix the problem? We started asking the question, what if the government had to earn your money? How would things start to change? And uh, we started looking at if government actually does. And really, there are a lot of essential problems with the tax system. But no matter what reform you institute within the tax system, you will have two in particular. Number one, that people don't have a choice. That is coercion and that is forced. And number two, that it's a monopoly over that. By the way, for your listeners who haven't heard the update, when you add the tax compliance costs to how much taxes is taken from you, local, state, and federal, they take up uh, an average of 50.71% of your income. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> Absolutely, for all that you get out of it, right? So long story short, we were looking at the tax system and those two things, whether you call it the flat tax or the fair tax or whatever tax you input, you cannot get rid of those two elements, which really create all of the problems that are in our tax system today. And uh, now, if you've been in the liberty community for a while, you've heard this idea that politicians and the IRS call our tax system voluntary. It's so cute, isn't it? It's it, it's it's really a chuckle because it's, it's like, uh, so you can voluntarily go to jail if you 
don't voluntarily pay your taxes. You can choose not to pay. You can also choose to deal with the consequences of not paying, which means <laughs> losing your freedom and all your stuff. So there you go. Right. I- exactly. But it's totally voluntary just to understand that you're giving of yourself to make America better. So, But inside that lie, there is actually a hidden truth. And the hidden truth is that most of the things we expect taxes to do are actually handled voluntarily by most entities outside of government, and they do a better job. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, the food stamp program, the United States food stamp program, uh, costs the U.S. taxpayer about $1.40 per meal. However, a nonprofit organization known as Feeding America, which feeds 45 million people and is the largest conglomerate of food banks in the U.S., guarantees that if you give them $1, they will give out 11 meals. Sounds like a much better better deal. Let's let's go to even even worse deal. The TANF program. This is what everyone refers to when they call it welfare, a straight cash payment, temporary assistance for needy families. Out of the TANF program, let's say a taxpayer puts $10 into it, the poor person on the other end actually only gets $2.60. 74% overhead. And where does that 74% go? It just goes to bureaucracies and and paying administrators and, and that sort of thing? Paying administrators, bureaucracy, and random government programs that the government spent too much money on, the state government spent too much money on, and they're going to use TANF funds to redirect and take care of the difference. So this is a, a, just a couple of examples of uh, government waste, fraud, abuse with our tax dollars that if government actually had to compete for that money would change drastically. And if people could, and not only if government had to compete, so you have a choice, but imagine the numbers of people, 13.5% of the people in this country live in poverty. One in five American children is born into poverty. Imagine the impact we could have on those people if we were able to direct 50% of our tax dollars to feeding America instead of the food stamp program. This is called voluntary taxation. And this is the tax revolution. There are examples of this all around the country before somebody goes, oh, that would be great, but how on earth would you do it? Well, let's take Arizona, for example. In Arizona, you get a tax credit, meaning you just report to the government how much you spent and they accept it. You get a tax credit of $400 to give to any nonprofit that helps out low-income families in Arizona. There are 615 of them. You get to choose between those 615 give them your $400 out of your tax dollars and take that directly off your taxes. In effect, you can redirect your tax money to nonprofits in Arizona who do a better job than the state government. If the government had to earn your money, imagine what would change. Imagine what would change with the accountability. Right now, in order to make a politician accountable, I don't have enough time on this podcast to tell you how tricky that is, that you're almost more likely playing the lottery than voting in a general election to keep a politician accountable. But if when you went to the polls, you could instead choose exactly where your tax dollars went, that would be keeping government accountable. I can go through a ton of reasons, and we'll have and we have a ton of reasons on our website as to what the tax revolution will do, the impact of the tax revolution. But the tax revolution is simple. You should have a choice in where your tax dollars go and whether or not to give them to the government or to give them to a nonprofit or another organization or even a for-profit or a co-op that does a better job with those services than the government. And if we did that, 
I, it, it would just take hours to explain, and I wouldn't even be able to get to half of all the impacts that that would make. So is the general idea here that you want to sort of change the tax system so as not to necessarily eliminate it overnight completely, which would obviously be wonderful, but actually give people the power to divert some of those tax dollars or maybe up to all of them. I'm not really sure the exact details here, but divert some of those tax dollars to other organizations, in which case you would be doing two things at once, depriving government of the money, but then also sending them somewhere where it can actually do some real work and actually help people. I think that most Americans actually if they could choose, uh, and, and uh, lab studies have proven this, we have those on our website uh, from the University of Dallas, but most Americans, if they could choose, would give voluntarily to help out their neighbor, to help out society, and to help out their community. In fact, there are voluntary, you know those voluntary contribution things on your tax form, the very, your state income tax form, it says you can give some extra money to the government if you like. Yeah, those ones I laugh at, and yeah, I know those. <laughs> for, for this cancer <laughs> the ones program. ones I go, oh yeah, this... you're, you're, I'm already taking, giving you guys enough, so uh, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, this cancer program, this military veterans program, et cetera, people actually every year give over $35 million to those programs on top of the taxes that are taken from them. And so if most of us, we actually have a heart for people. We want to give people a better life. We want to, to give to the poor. If it's actually going to be well spent, if we know that it's actually going to be efficiently taken care of and it's a reasonable amount of money. And so the tax revolution is simply that you should have a choice in where the dollars that you spend towards society, which is essentially a tax, in where the dollars that you spend towards society would actually go, and it wouldn't even necessarily eventually have to be administered by the government. It would simply be you voluntarily choosing to help the community. The impact that would have would be tremendous. Now, I'm not sure if you are familiar with uh, Mark Allen Feldman. He's a guy who ran for the Libertarian uh, presidential uh, nomination uh, earlier this year. He actually passed away as well, uh, very sadly. But this is what you're telling, talking about right here is actually one of basically one of his ideas, uh, the idea that people could choose to send their tax money to other organizations or um, that kind of thing to actually take care of people and actually put them to work in, in a productive way. It's very, it's very slim, similar to the ideas that, that he put forward uh, when he was on this program and in many of his presidential speeches. Do you happen to be familiar with his work at all? I, I am not actually familiar with his presidential platform. I saw him speak a couple times, uh, and, I, and I did see this idea start to develop in a lot of other areas of the activist community. But I actually didn't see uh, that on Mark Allen Feldman's platform. And, and so I respect, I'll have to take a look at that. I respect a lot of the work that he did and uh, his run as a libertarian. Of course, we, we know he unfortunately passed away uh, last year. But uh, I would be really interested in, in seeing uh, how he mapped out how that would work. Now, Dan, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the details of what you got planned here with the tax revolution. But first, I need to take a quick time out to give a word to our sponsors. Liberty lovers, have you seen our new T-shirt line over at lionsofliberty.store? If you haven't, well, go check them out. But if you have, then you've seen the great design work of my man Dan Smots of Goulash Media. Dan has been a longtime fan of the Lions of Liberty podcast and credits the show with being a big contributor to his interest in libertarianism and politics in general. Dan is a super talented guy and he is able to contribute to just about anything creative, whether it's graphic designs like you saw with our t-shirts, whether it's videography, he does weddings and that sort of thing, or audio production. He even did the newest jingle for Letters of Liberty, which you'll hear later in this program. Dan is based out of the Quad Cities area in Illinois, and he's always happy to travel. So if you've got a wedding coming up or any sort of project, video or audio related, 
I want to highly encourage you to check out Dan Smots and Goulash Media. That's Goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, goulashmedia.net or goulashfilms.com. So uh, what is kind of the, the basic framework for how you guys have mapped it out? How, how you, Obviously, you could probably spend hours talking about the details, but I'm looking big picture here. How do you plan to get something like this, take it from this realm of ideas where we are right now, where we're discussing the concept, but actually enact it into actual change? And you're someone who's actually been successful with it, with enacting change with your program. So if anybody has a little bit of a resume to go on uh, and able to actually put some of the these ideas into action, it sure is you, Dan. So why don't you kind of summarize your plan to do that well what we launched this month is the conscious revolution that means we want your listeners and we want people out there to start asking their friends and family what if the government had to earn your money what if you could choose where your tax dollars went because any policy that's going to stay any law that's going to stay any type of social change that's going to stay is first preceded by a paradigm shift And that paradigm shift has to start being enacted. So if your listeners want to join the revolution, that's what we encourage them to do. Also to give us suggestions as to the biggest areas that need to be fixed for the conscious revolution portion of this. But later this year, we're going to launch uh, and we'll also have we also have uh, sample legislation on the website. If people want to implement this in their community, we're happy to help them out. But later this year, we're going to launch the action side of this and the action side of this is going to rely on actually kind of a direct challenge to what you just said, the realm, uh, taking it from the realm of ideas to the practicality. There's actually a page on the TRI website that says voluntary taxation is here. And it describes four main ways that voluntary taxation is implemented already in the United States that all we, and and around the world, that all we need to do is expand. Number one, I talked about already on the show, tax credits. People can choose to give to a nonprofit or to the government, especially in the state of Arizona. They just doubled theirs last year. That's moving in the right direction. Second is uh, tax expenditure checkoffs. It's a really long, complicated meaning to say there's a checkbox on your form that you choose exactly where your tax dollars go. You see this on your federal income tax form. You know that little box that says uh, you want to give like two or three dollars to presidential candidates for their conventions and such? I sure do. (laughs) That box is an example of you choosing exactly where your tax dollars go because your tax liability doesn't go up. You're simply choosing where to redirect some of your tax money. Wouldn't recommend checking that box. But still, that box is a great example. And thirdly, you have the hometown tax. The nation of Japan in 2008, the local communities were really hurting and they needed a lot of economic development. And so the Japanese government instituted this hometown tax, which allowed people to, instead of uh, about 45% of their federal tax dollars, but sending that to the federal Japanese government, they could actually send it to any city and any government program inside that city. In fact, if you look up the Furusato tax, F-U-R-U-S-A-T-O. I'm glad you spelled is, that because I was going to have to ask you if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is roughly hometown. But the Furusato tax, if you look that up, you'll find a website, furusato-tax.jp, that governments are actually competing for your tax dollars on. 
And you can look at them. They're offering sushi and strawberries and all kinds of local delicacies if you give your donate your tax money to that local government instead of the national government. And so you have this kind of intergovernmental tax. Those three ideas, plus what I already talked about, which is the voluntary contributions on your tax form, instead just move some government programs to that voluntary contributions section. Those four ways are ways that voluntary taxation is already here. And all we have to do to strike at the heart of the beast that is government abuse, government corruption, that is uh, inefficient services for people and not helping out the poor and not actually helping out the homeless. All we have to do is expand those in our states and in our cities. And Tax Revolution Institute will be dedicated to helping anyone who wants to implement this in their city or in their state. So much like with a lot of your, it's a, basically a theme of your organizations is that while you're you're building an infrastructure, you're you're building a support system. You're not necessarily dictating how this is all going to go for everybody. You're giving people the support network that they can actually use to empower themselves to go and try to enact this. Samuel Adams said, "Light brush fires of freedom in the minds of men." We are sparking the revolution. We're called the Tax Revolution Institute. We're not called the Tax Revolution Inc. <laughs> we. <laughs> We are sparking the revolution. We are inspiring it. We are helping to pave the way legislatively. We, are, we, did all, we did the research. We put together the resources. And what we're saying is no matter what the issue is in your community, I, I used an issue a couple months ago uh, when I was kind of teasing this out to people. I said, look, that the Drug Enforcement Agency, they made CBD oil illegal. Now, CBD oil, uh, a lot of your listeners will understand, is used by a lot of people I know too personally in my life who use it for seizures. And if they didn't have the CBD oil that they have today, that they would actually fall to a grand mal seizure and could die, uh, that it could actually cause their death. And a lot of children use CBD oil for seizures. And the DEA decided on their own authority that they're just going to schedule it as a Schedule One drug so nobody can get it. You know what should happen then? There should be a checkbox on your tax form and you should be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to protest and write a petition to my legislators and hope I get the right guy elected. No, I'm just not going to fund it. They're not going to get my money next year. That's exactly what should happen. And that's what should happen with issues across the board that people can implement in their communities. Well, Dan, there's a lot of issues that, that libertarians uh, disagree on, get into arguments about, whether it's immigration, whether it's uh, abortion, intellectual property. But uh, there's one thing that almost every libertarian or even remotely libertarian-leaning person I know agrees on, and that's that our tax system is an absolute atrocity. It is an absolute disaster, and just about anyone can appreciate an attempt to completely dismantle this thing, and that's exactly what you guys are doing at the Tax Revolution Institute. So why don't you, before I let you go here, why don't you let everybody know just how they can get involved, how they can find out more information about the specifics of these plans that you're, that you're laying out here, and really how they can make put this thing into action if they like what they're hearing. Our website is taxrevolution.us. That's taxrevolution.us. Our goal is to get 10,000 people to click that email box and say, yes, a voluntary tax system or elements of a voluntary tax system is what we need to fix our government and what we need to fix our society. And people can also find sample legislation. They can find information on that website to help them with implementing voluntary taxation in their community. Finally, if you have suggestions, government agencies that can be replaced or nonprofits that can replace a particular government agency, again, go to the website taxrevolution.us. Thanks so much, Mark.
Dan Johnson, like I said, one of the most active people in defense of the ideas of liberty. The action never ends with you, man. So I appreciate you taking a little bit out of time out of that to come on here and tell our listeners today about the Tax Revolution Institute. Keep up the great work, Dan. Thank you very much, Mark. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Johnson. Man, and I'm not a lazy guy. I mean, I'm pretty active. I I work all week. I still produce this podcast. I do a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. I have a girlfriend. I spend time with her. I take care of my dogs. I do a lot. And yet, when I talk to Dan Johnson, I feel worthless and lazy because <laughs> this guy is so damn active. He started three entire organizations, all who are making great strides in the liberty movement in various ways, and the tax revolution is the latest one. I really love his idea and his approach to this issue of taxation. Like I mentioned in the interview, it does ring uh, very similar to a lot of the words said by the great late Mark Allen Feldman. I I will link to my interview with Mark Allen Feldman again in today's show notes, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 283. If you guys haven't heard that uh, and you have heard of Dr. Mark Allen Feldman, I I really want to recommend you go back and listen to that and see the kind of ideas that this guy had and and maybe find out a little bit why he is has become so revered after his passing just because of his approach and his general general attitude to uh, to libertarian issues. It's a very different way of looking at things, and it's always appreciated, just like I appreciate all the great work from Dan Johnson, just like I appreciate you guys for continuing to listen to and support this program. Now, I mentioned earlier at the top of the show that we're going to have some exclusive audio for people that contribute to our patron program, which we run through our podcast host at Podbean. Again, you can find all the information for that at lionsofliberty.com slash support. You can also go directly to our patron page by going to patron, P-A-T-R-O-N dot podbean dot com slash lions of liberty but either way you get there you will be able to see the full breakdown of the various perks you get for various levels of support and anybody that joins at the five dollar or higher level will get access to some exclusive audio content that we've got coming up and the very first piece of audio that i'm going to release is going to come at the end of this week so i would sign up really soon because you're not going to want to miss it because what i've put together is the very first blooper reel that's right it's basically a lions of liberty outtakes blooper reel of many of the various roundtables that we had. Uh, as you know, this podcast is edited. <laughs> we do a lot of uh, you know, a lot of roundtables with friends, and a lot of it's off the cuff, and not all of it makes air. So you're going to get a little peek behind the scenes at a lot of the fun times and, and honestly, a lot of the laughs that we had. I had a blast putting this together. Uh, we, have a, we have a lot of fun on this show, and you hear a lot of that fun, but there's, uh, there's some extra stuff that goes on off air sometimes that, for various reasons, is not aired, but I want to give you you guys, the people that help support this program and help it grow, some access to that. So I'm going to be pumping out a few of these along the way. We're also going to do some bonus roundtables and that sort of thing as we go. But the very first piece of audio coming soon is an exclusive blooper reel. So I do highly encourage you to sign up this week so you don't miss it. Again, that's lionsofliberty.com slash support. And we've got a few new signups this week that I want to give a shout out to. We've got our man, Phil Sertum who's hopped on board, the Lion's Pride. That's what we're calling this thing. I always forget to mention it. We've also got Vitor Hugo, who has signed up. Congrats, Vitor. Great to have you aboard, as well as Kevin Pitak Jr., 
who has become a supporter as well. So we're excited to have all you guys on board in addition to the names I mentioned last week. If you didn't hear your name, there is, I think, one more person right now that has a name where we can't actually identify uh, the human being. Your email works great. Uh, so, But if you want to get a shout-out, drop me an email, markmarc at lionsofliberty.com, and we'll be sure to give you a mention on the show. And now, without further ado, it's time to dip back into the mailbag and answer some letters of liberty. This is the new Letters of Liberty mailbag song Mark tried to write one himself But it somehow just felt wrong So to keep him from further embarrassing All of the lions of liberty The free market demanded for better In the form of Liberty Letters So let's get to it This intro is much too long all right, well, I, I think it's just long enough. So a big shout-out once again to my man Dan Smots of Goulash Media doing some great stuff and providing this jingle for us. My first letter of liberty this week comes from Sterling Davis, and Sterling asks, does it bother you how many times Trump has used the executive order to this point, even if he has, so far, been doing fairly libertarian things with it. Now, this letter was sent a couple weeks ago. There may be some mixed reviews on how, quote, libertarian uh, a lot of the stuff Trump has done since then, including the travel ban, the Muslim ban, as some call it. I don't know how you can call it a Muslim ban when 85% of Muslims aren't affected by it. But regardless, this is an interesting issue to explore because, you know, when we talk about executive orders, there's nothing illegal or wrong within the context of our Constitution about an executive order if it's just directing an agency to enforce the law or in, or in how they should enforce the law because that is the proper role of the executive branch. So when Trump does something libertarian that's an executive order, say when we're talking about his directive to HHS to sort of back off on the enforcement of some of the Obamacare provisions, it, it, I don't know, it's questionable to the extent, and maybe uh, this is the kind of thing we might want to talk about with Chris Ann Hall, but it's questionable to the extent that an executive order, especially if it's just reversing a previous executive order, is really even illegal or unconstitutional. I think a lot of a lot of questions come up when it, when it comes to this stuff, and I certainly don't think the president should be crafting law as President Obama was so notorious for trying to do during his presidency, he even sort of bragged about it, saying, I've got a voice and a pen if Congress won't act. Uh, so while I do not think the president should be crafting law, and there may be some arguments that Donald Trump might be doing that to the to some extent as well, at the end of the day, you know, Sterling actually adds a comment here. Is this similar to Mr. Sirwark's contention? Of course, referring to Nicholas Sirwark and his past appearance on this program, but he says, wouldn't that fall under the same argument Mr. Sir Wark used that individual rights are more important than states' rights. And uh, at the end of the day, I would say it kind of does. Uh, I, I do think that at the end of the day, I'm going to side with whoever is right. Whoever is siding on the side of the individual, on the side of defending and protecting individual rights. The issue is we have a constitutional system, and within that system, I also don't think people should really be going off the bounds of, of what's prescribed. So I want to side with Trump whenever he does something. Like when it comes to the Obamacare provisions, I want to say that is 
closer to individual liberty, so closer to supporting the rights of individuals. So that's a good thing. But we do need to be very careful and we need to criticize him. We need to get on him whenever he seems to be crafting law because that's a power that the president should not have. It's a power libertarians spent eight years slamming Obama over and we need to make sure we do the same thing when it comes to Donald Trump. So I think we should just be wary of this issue when there's a case where he's just kind of directing agencies and it's, it's doing something better for individuals. I think we should support that. But if he's actually goes out and starts crafting law and going well beyond the scope of his powers, I think we got to hammer him for that as well. Next up, I've got a letter of liberty from Austin Wilson. And Austin asks, Mark, I have a friend who lives in L.A. and says that the economy in California is booming. I haven't read much into this, but I constantly hear from others that the economy is, in fact, failing. Could you please shed some light on this one for me? Now, look, Austin, I'm, I'm going to answer this question without looking up graphs and charts and various other things that maybe some people with economics degrees will use to say the economy in California is you know, getting better, getting worse, what have you. But I, I want to give you my layman's perspective, my perspective for someone who's lived in California for 12 years. And uh, you mentioned that your friend lives in L.A., and I think that is a, a big part of the explanation. Because in L.A., there is a boom. There is a serious boom. L.A. is always going to be in pretty decent shape, if you ask me, because of the film industry. Even in times, even during the Great Depression, the film industry skyrocketed and did great. Because in bad times, people seek entertainment. They also seek alcohol. <laughs> they seek an escape from the bad reality that they're facing. Uh, so I think L.A. is always going to have an advantage uh, in that sense, when we're just talking about the specific bubble. There's also a tech bubble in LA that a lot of people that don't live here might not realize. You know, there the, a Snapchat has just come in and pretty much bought up half of Venice and a lot of tech companies, uh, the YouTube studios are, are right by my house. Uh, they have a bit major presence here as well. A lot of companies are coming into Los Angeles and that's causing a bit of an upsurge, even more so than the rest of the country is seeing in real estate and that kind of thing. Of course, we all know about Silicon Valley up in the northern part of the state. So in the bubble sense, I'm sure people in these areas, especially that work in these industries, are experiencing a boom. But as always, there's the flip side, and we can't just look at a couple different highly populated areas if we're going to talk about the entirety of an economy. The fact is, California is one of the most overly taxed, overly regulated, probably not one of it, it's probably the most overly taxed, overly regulated state in this country. And when we're talking about numbers... I don't have any in front of me, but I know this. People are fleeing California. People are fleeing California in droves for states where there is more economic freedom, such as Texas. Now, I happen to work in the television industry. It makes sense for me to live in Los Angeles. I love Southern California. I love the weather here. I love that I can drive to skiing, to camping, to Mexico, to Las Vegas. I can drive to all these places in the span of an afternoon. So the, there are a lot of reasons outside of the economics and outside of the taxes and regulations that I personally want to continue to live in Southern California. But uh, just because Los Angeles is doing well, I, it doesn't make me unaware of the fact that a lot of people that live outside of these areas that are doing so well and booming in this sort of mini bubble, I guess you might say out here, uh, you know, there's a reality out there. And the fact is the average man is probably getting creamed. So while I don't know what evidence your friend is citing, I can only speak to my personal experience and my observations around me. Uh, but as with just about anything, whether you're in a boom or a bust is often in the eye of the beholder. And I'm going to hit one more letter of liberty here from James Rensell, who asks... What's your favorite conspiracy theory? What conspiracy theory do you think is most likely true? 
Those are different questions. Now, I'll just I'll just skip to the one I think is most likely true. Of course, we have to sort of define true, but that's one that I've been obsessed with far before I really got super into libertarianism, the ideas of liberty. Uh, it's probably the most well-known conspiracy, or at least maybe the most publicly accepted one, and that's the assassination of John F. Kennedy. This is one that I, I remember seeing Oliver Stone's movie. I remember thinking about it even before that time and just thinking, well, this is obviously a conspiracy. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, even before I dug into it, to me, it just seemed on the surface. How could this be anything but a conspiracy? There's no way this one guy just up and decided on his own to go hang out in a clock tower and hit this perfect shot at the perfect time. It just didn't feel right to me. It didn't seem right. Now, that's not evidence, but after reading... Honestly, probably dozens of books on this subject over the years. I can definitely say there's enough weird stuff associated with the JFK stuff that it's just impossible to think that there wasn't other forces at works other than Lee Harvey Oswald. I know he was involved in it. I don't deny his involvement, but I also think he, at the end of the day, became a bit of a patsy, and that's the reason he was killed in prison. Now, when it comes to my favorite conspiracy, now that's a little bit of a different story, and I don't really know if I have a single solitary favorite, but uh, I do like to dip into the realm of of crazy and wacky conspiracies sometime, because, hey, I think it gets my mind churning, gets me thinking about different possibilities, doesn't mean I believe them, doesn't mean I think they're real, but I'll tell you one that I think is my favorite currently right now. And when I say favorite, I don't mean to think I think it's real or true, but I love anything related to space and sort of uh, the idea that space is not what we believe it to be. Now, I don't think this is true, but there's obviously there's a flat Earth movement that a lot of people have have heard about and talked about out there. For the record, I do not think the Earth is flat. I think all the evidence and in all likelihood we live on the round ball that is the planet Earth that we've all been told about. But, you know, watching some of these videos and going down this rabbit hole sometimes, I tell you, it's fascinating. There's a lot of interesting arguments that come up, not necessarily directly to speak to the idea that the Earth is flat and not round, but just about space, about the nature of space, about the fabric of reality. And it just gets you thinking that, you know, we only know what we're told. We only know what we learn. There's only so much we can actually prove ourselves. You know, until I go walk on Mars, until I go walk on the moon. I don't really know that it's all what we're told it is. I don't really know that. I think it probably is. I think it seems like way too grand of a conspiracy to fake space or anything like that or fake that the Earth is a globe and what the motivations to even do that were. But when we're talking about favorite, I I think about the kind of things that make me just just kind of lose my mind and go on a YouTube rabbit hole for hours and and the flat earth all the space related stuff that falls into that category so for the time being that's my favorite but disclaimer once again it doesn't mean I believe it doesn't mean I think it's remotely true it means I think it's just interesting as hell to dig into all right, folks, the Liberty Mailbag is just about empty. I do have a couple more at the bottom there that I'll try to dig out for next week, but I want to hear more Letters of Liberty from you guys. So, of course, you can send those to me by joining our private group on Facebook, the Lions of Liberty Forum. It's completely free to join. Just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your little search bar on Facebook. It should pop right up. And as long as you look like a real person, I'll let you on in. You can join the conversation. And I post a thread just about every week uh, requesting more Letters of Liberty. So that's one way to do it. You can also tweet stuff to me, tweet at Lions of Liberty, or you can email me directly, mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com. Folks, it's been a blast. Be sure to tune in to Electric Liberty Land this coming Wednesday. And until next time, live long and live free.